Hey there, and welcome to season two of Navigating the Pandemic, the show that explores COVID-19 and how it impacts our daily lives. I'm Kat Morgan, an incoming Master of Public Health candidate at Columbia University. As a reminder, this season is focused on the social determinants of health, health inequities, and COVID-19. In the last episode, we covered patterns of inequality in global disease response and coordinated action that's still needed in the fight against COVID. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Alexander Salerno of Salerno Medical Associates on the show. We'll discuss Dr. Salerno's initiatives to fight COVID-19 and how physicians can work in their own communities to bridge the gap in accessing care during COVID. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Salerno. Thank you, Kat. It's a pleasure to be on your show. So will you open our conversation by sharing a little bit about your educational background um, and your current role at Salerno Medical Associates? Sure. So I am internal medicine physician, board certified, second generation. I have a master's in health administration, and I was in the Air Force as a, a general medical officer in the reserve uh, Air Force for about 10 years. So that's kind of where I really got to see and do a lot of public health because of the humanitarian missions and things like that. I joined my parents and at first my mom and then my dad back in 2001. And I am now 20 plus years into practice. Practice has grown a lot. Obviously, it's a practice that my dad started in the 1950s. And we've historically been in the urban areas. Uh, my dad in East Orange and my mom in Newark. You know, my, my parents were in the area prior to the race riots of Newark in the 1960s, as you know, many of us are familiar with. And so that's kind of what brought me back to Newark and East Orange when I graduated my training program. I started a couple of community outreach programs or population health programs. Um, they were not called population health back in the day when I started them, but the first one was called the Senior Healthcare Outreach Program. And basically I did what my dad used to do. I started house calls for inner city seniors. It's one of the longest running house call programs in Essex County now. It's again, almost 20 years, 21 years. And then about 10 years ago, I started a not-for-profit called UHIP, uh, which stands for Urban Healthcare Initiative Program. And it kind of focuses on healthcare literacy to bridge disparities with the idea that knowledge is power. And what I did was redefine the healthcare team from traditional doctors and nurses to include pastors and deacons and reverends from the community to kind of preach, if you would, about a lot of the typical chronic diseases so we can build better familiarity and trust and understanding. And then the most recent population health program that I did was, or created was the Community Healthcare Outreach Program. And that is where primary care comes into outpatient behavioral health centers and integrates primary care. So we kind of treat below the neck and the psychiatrist treats above the neck and we just do it in a holistic fashion. Because if you look at you know public health um, and greatest you know, challenges in primary care access proactively has been in the behavioral health patient. So that's kind of who I am, where I am, and where I'm going. Thank you so much for that background. And um, I really resonate with your personal background in public health because a lot of medical practitioners, you know, aren't necessarily going about their practice from the purview of public health and population health. And I thought it was really cool to hear that 
your family has been in the same community for that long. I also, your elder care program really piqued my interest because especially during COVID-19, a lot of people are, are realizing just how important like house calls are for people who like physically cannot go to the doctor's office or they're immunocompromised. And then your other two programs, thank you for giving us the overview of UHIP as well as the community healthcare outreach program. Later on, I'm really excited to dive a little bit more into those, but I want to backtrack a little bit to how you were talking about the race riots and, you know, all of these things that are happening in Newark. Can you speak to some of the disparities that COVID-19 has caused in health outcomes in your home state and community that it's directly caused or maybe, you know, how it's exacerbated existing disparities? Well, I think, you know, it kind of COVID toward the Band-Aid off, if you would, about diabetes and hypertension and chronic conditions do not affect all walks of life equally. And as a result of that disparity in healthcare management and and long-term management, we saw COVID have a disproportionate effect on the poorly controlled diabetics, the poorly controlled hypertensive, the COPDers, the morbidly obese patients because of nutrition. Because you know, nutrition is really a healthcare topic as well and a healthcare condition. So as a result, we saw a disproportionate number of people with COVID in urban areas get more severe COVID, more hospitalizations with COVID, more intensive care unit with COVID, and unfortunately more demise with COVID. We knew about it, but we never really addressed it and faced that head on. And now um, I think we really are seeing that there are disparities in healthcare outcome right now based on socioeconomics and based on people of culture. Absolutely. And I resonate a lot with what you said about tearing the bandaid off of all of these existing disease burdens. I think people are much more aware of it because you really can't ignore it at this point. And so in addressing some of these disparities, you know, you've started this community healthcare outreach program to help give people trust and, and healthcare knowledge and, and medical literacy. And so I was wondering if you would be able to speak to maybe some of the patient care gaps that these programs that you started can fill. You know, what are they addressing that maybe care at the federal or the state or the local governmental level isn't able to address? What sort of gaps are you filling with this programming? So I think first off, primary care has has always kind of been the basement dweller in in healthcare. And when you look at residency programs, when you look at, I, I just think, you know, primary care hasn't gotten the attention and the and the return that it really needs when it's a building block of medicine and a building block of of all the specialties come off of internal medicine and family practice. I, I just don't think like it's a consumer centric uh, industry. You know, like I don't call patients patients. I call them customers. 
you know, and when you talk about a customer, you have to talk about customer service and you have to talk about elevating the playing field. So if you look at our offices, our offices have this visceral optic appearance and feel to them that don't look like, quote unquote, city clinics, you know. Um, and, and so that it creates a more comfortable, more inviting environment. And when you're more comfortable and more inviting, you're more likely to talk and to elaborate between provider and caregiver about what's going on and what are you feeling and what are you not feeling and what are your apprehensions. And it seems more like a, a connection, if you would, between doctor and, and customer or doctor and patient. So, you know, that's one of the things that we do a little bit differently on what our brick and mortar kind of looks like. The other thing is too, like, uh, you know, for a lot of patients, the last thing you want is for them to come in and then they get a handful of scripts and you kind of are talking a million you know, miles a minute. And some of them, you know, already have apprehension. Some of them have challenges. It might be hearing, it might be level of education and and then you're really not talking to them, but you're talking at them. And, and again, that results in a lot of compliance issues and lack of follow through issues. So what we try to do is we try to create patient navigators for every you know, patient that we are seeing through our clinicians. So they help make appointments, confirm appointments, remind the patients of the appointments, educate the patients about the appointments. So we're more engaging with the patient or the customer about the importance of what we're doing and kind of answering the who, what, where, when, why of the care plans that we're putting together. We don't even call them care plans, um, Kat. We call them healthcare report cards because I think most people can relate to a report card because you always had a report card. Even if you were in first grade, even if you made it to fifth grade or seventh grade, you know the importance of a report card. You know the importance of an A versus an F versus a C minus. And so, you know, again, we try to relate to patients. And so that gets more buy-in, that increases confidence, that increases competence. And then we flip the, you know, the switch from reactive medicine to proactive medicine. So that's kind of like one of the things. And then obviously, yeah, with our population health programs, it's not always the field of dreams you build that they will come, you know. So, you know, you go into the urban area, you see lots of clinics. But I mean, healthcare can be done in other places where people congregate, like a church, you know, like a senior building, you know, like where I started the shop program that I mentioned to you. I mean, these HUD sponsored senior housing, studio apartments, one bedroom apartments, I would go in there and literally ride the elevator up and down and go down hallways. And I could see 20, 30 patients in a day. And yet they were all considered, you know, really house calls because I was just going into individual apartments. You know, eventually I, I tried to make it more social. So we, I would try to get like pharmaceutical companies to sponsor, you know, meals at the senior buildings. So bring people down, get them out and try to just make medicine more a social thing than the white coat syndrome kind of thing. It's a lot of trial and error and it's just you know, building trust and finding different ways to build trust, whether it be a real cool, aesthetically inviting office or providing, you know, healthcare in a church where people feel comfort and safety going to their church or place of worship and things like that. I really love that. And I think I would almost boil it down to, you know, you are shifting from prescriptive and like, yes, literally medical practitioners are prescriptive. You're writing prescriptions, but moving from prescriptive to proactive and seeing 
the holistic person and building trust and how important primary care is to the community. And I really appreciated what you said about relatability and like comfort. Primary care should be about dialogue. And I think during COVID too, anybody on the front lines is getting burned out. And so I feel like it must be harder to continue to build that trust and take that extra step because a lot of people weren't doing it before COVID. And so now that it's even more important than ever, and we need more primary care physicians and doctors doing that kind of community outreach. And so sort of on this idea, two years ago, you wrote an opinion piece and it's, it's called, we are not waiting for COVID patients to come to us. We're going to them. And I resonated with that piece a lot. I thought it was very powerful. And, you know, two years later, COVID is still happening. We're still seeing disparities. There are still people who are struggling to access care. So I was hoping that you would speak to how your work has continued to evolve. And it it would be great if you had any other examples of grassroots solutions that you or your colleagues are applying right now to address COVID disparities? Well, I think, um, you know, we have to just now add COVID right to our, our panel of problems that we're, you know, having to deal with. First, the importance of vaccination and boosters and to put facts ahead of fiction and education is really important because I think we kind of are right now in a uh, holding pattern with a lot of the uh, advancements in, you know, in, in COVID vaccines. I mean, I think where last I read, we're only at about 67 percent of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. So, you know, we, we are kind of in this hangover right now with the COVID vaccine, and we have to find ways to kind of bridge that. And again, finding a way to to get people to understand the importance of it, get over their apprehensions. You know, I, I again think like healthcare has to mesh more in with the community um, at large and where the community is at large. And it's not a one size fits all approach because every niche of every zip code is quite unique and we have to celebrate that uniqueness and how we think of you know, preventative medicine, which includes COVID, but it also includes complications of diabetes and cancer and obesity and hypertensive heart disease and everything like that. And you know, Alzheimer's dementia and, and things like that as well. We, we, there are lessons learned from COVID um, that I hope we, we really you know, try to get in front of like the more the importance of public health, like the importance of prevention, like the importance of really tailoring approaches to communities. And and again, I said it not having a one size fits all approach. When we started with COVID, like way back, it seems like forever, but it was what, two, two and a half years ago, we bought a Winnebago and we converted it to a clinic, a COVID clinic for testing. And this was actually even before the vaccines came out. It was just for testing because testing was a challenge two years ago. We didn't even have swabs to do the nasal swabbing. That's how much we were impacted with shortage of supplies back in March of 2020. I would hope that we are resilient and healthcare is such a dynamic, not a static industry. And public health is as part of healthcare that we really should be rethinking 
how we move forward. COVID is here to stay. It's not going away. It's going to continue to mutate. Thank God it's dummying down a little bit, right? So it's getting more infectious, but at the same time, less intense. We, we just have to kind of be prepared that it is part of us, our, our society. It's not going away. It is now something new added to our problem list. We are going to have people that die from COVID every day and every year. No different than we have people always dying from the flu. I mean, people don't really realize they think the flu is just the flu. But, you know, we average sometimes 50, 60,000 deaths a year related to the flu prior to COVID. Nobody really focused on that. So vaccinations are an important part of prevention. And we have to put the facts ahead of the fiction. That might mean expanding the messengers so it's not just doctors. I mean, I don't know if doctors really have their finger on the pulse of the community, as well as, let's say, a pastor or let's say a sports figure person, or some other community advocate that really understands the community much better than us folks wearing white coats. So. Yeah, yeah, it's I think so many people don't realize that it really is about finding that trusted community member and they translate the sentiments and the importance of vaccinations. And about a year and a half ago, I was part of a research project and we were looking at um, vaccine rates for allied healthcare workers. I was transcribing interviews and so many of these allied healthcare workers were saying that they didn't necessarily trust the medical system. And to be in such a harrowing position to be working on the front lines, but to not necessarily trust the system to receive a vaccine, that's an example that, you know, something is wrong with the system. So I definitely resonate with what you said about it's time to bridge that gap. But I just want to thank you so much, Dr. Salerno, for sharing these great programs that you're doing And I think it's interesting for listeners who are not medical professionals, but I think for the MDs who are listening, this is a great example of different initiatives that could be copied and pasted, you know, across the United States. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Kat. It was a pleasure talking to you.